We're starting a, a new parami, which we'll be uh, discovering and exploring for the next four weeks. And that parami is renunciation. It's the one that... <laughs> well, they all kind of feel a little odd when we, <laughs> when we take them on. Uh, and certainly renunciation, I think it's, a, it's, un, it's an unfortunate word. And I think it was probably um, mistranslated uh, way back whenever they started translating Buddhism. Because I looked it up in the dictionary. I mean, for me, it has a kind of austerity associated with it. It's sort of a aloofness, uh, a reclusiveness, kind of an asceticism. And so I looked it up to see if I was just putting my own definition on the word and it sure enough it means a formal rejection of something well now that's not the way we're going to we're going to redefine the word we're going to bring it back so we can own it because that's um, it's, a, it's a crippling word when left to its own definition in fact Our culture has made renunciation into an austerity rather than a virtue, a contraction rather than an openness, hasn't it? It's like somebody who's a renunciate is living a kind of diminished life in some way. Well, that's the feeling we get, kind of a contracted life. The Unabomber comes to mind. But there's a spirit. And if we could redefine it so that we were releasing uh, what isn't needed, it has a more inviting quality, I think, to it. And just remembering that all of these paramis are really um, statements of a, or actions within, or manifestations of an awakened mind. And so they all must hold some context of openness, some way of embrace, some form of embrace. And, and so I would like to invite that metaphorical image of opening ourselves into the word renunciation. Uh, nothing is really gained for very long in spiritual practice through contraction because it's the opposite way. I mean, in some times, um, when, you, when, for instance, we may have an addiction and to deliberately cut ourselves off from that addiction, separating ourselves from that addiction is helpful, can be very useful. But eventually it has to be explored to see what that addiction is about. It has to be an invitation uh, needs to come so that we can reopen to whatever it is that we have closed down because we can't close down to anything and be free. And so this invitation to explore is very much a part of the definition of renunciation. Now, I I was reading uh, some Buddhist literature and I came upon what the Buddha said early on about renunciation. And I liked it. Uh, he said, um, even I myself, before my awakening, 
when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva, thought, renunciation is good, seclusion is good. But my heart didn't leap up at renunciation. (laughs) It didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm. It didn't see it as peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause? What is the reason? Why doesn't my heart leap up at renunciation? Doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. Then the thought occurred to me, I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasure. He's just being honest. You can't force this sense of releasing what isn't needed until you see that you don't need it. Can you? And most of us, if we're honest with our life, we're involved in what we're doing because we haven't seen its limitation. We haven't explored the pain or the or the, um, the the where the what we have invested in a particular object or we haven't seen its limitation we haven't felt its edge we haven't felt it bite back and so we continue unconsciously to play out the game of indulgence now so Renunciation isn't a forced withdrawal. It's a willingness to explore our lives sufficiently so that we no longer want what we have normally uh, invested our life in. And it's a falling away. It's really a shedding rather than a contraction. Now, as I have mentioned in other talks, we really need to have a sense that the environment is not the problem. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, usually when we think of spiritual practice, and we certainly the the thought of a renunciate, we think of a monastery, we think of a very um, hermit-like existence, and we may... Uh, think, well, my life is so full with children and job and all of the input throughout the day. You know, I can play at this spiritual game, but I'm really never going to be uh, able to embrace it fully or I would be a, a monastic. I would be a nun or a monk. And so we're going to sort of half play, half to do this thing halfway. Now that is not the spirit. That is not what I would invite us. Uh, wherever we are, whatever place we're in, has equally the equal potential, potential of any other. And for us um, to compromise our full life because we think that it's less spiritual than something else, really needs to be re-examined. That conjecture really needs to be re-examined. It's never the place we're in. It's whether we're full-hearted within the place we're in. That's what required. A number of years ago, uh, I was uh, doing a retreat, a residential retreat with Ajahn Sumedho, who he's been here before. And uh, most of the retreat was filled with his uh, monks and nuns or lay people who had once been monks or nuns. So we sat for 10 days 
And at the end of that 10 days, uh, there was a kind of a, an upheaval uh, in terms of those who had been former monks and nuns or who had been uh, lay monastics and lived within the monastery as lay people uh, really were almost sobbing at the point of despair because they felt that if they really had their lives together, they would have never left the monastery at all. And I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. It went on for a long period of time, people bantering back and forth, talking about how they had ruined their lives. by not. And I just thought, you know, what a waste. If they believe that, then in fact their life is wasted. If they believe, truly believe, that the only place to get spiritual nourishment is within that surround, within that environment called a monastery, and they are not there, then they are, in fact, wasting their life. But that's not true. It's just a belief that becomes true because if we're not living that, we're not going to give the same spirit of intention to our actions of body, speech, and mind that we would if we were living in the place that we think is more beneficial. But this is the place that's most beneficial. The one where we're sitting now is the optimum strategy. So let us take a seat firmly within that resolve to make this work because it's only our lack of resolve that keeps us an unawakened bodhisattva. And if we are willing to muster the courage, which is persistence really, you know, we, we do these things weekly not because... I want to see people gather every week is because of the persistence that's needed for this hardened conditioning to begin to soften. It requires persistence. Weekend and week out. Cloudy day, warm day. You know, Barack Obama giving his press conference, should I go to Sims? Or come into sins anyway. Again, not for numbers, but because unless we remain dedicated in principle to the most important question any of us hold, which is what is important for my life? You see, the question of renunciation, renunciation really brings forth that question, doesn't it? What is truly important What is truly the focus? How is my life going to be focused? Now, if that answer of how we are going to focus our life is invested in the temporal things of life, that which comes and goes, that which dies then how important could those things be? And I don't mean that they're not temporally important. They are. They're important in time and place. Children, job, my work environment, home, all of that, nourishment, spouse, all of that is temporarily important. It's temporarily important because that relationship is bound to end. That everything that comes together is bound to be separated. By definition. And so when we ask this very important question that is encouraged through the word renunciation, we have to look through 
what is temporally important to us. What is important because of circumstances. What is important in terms of, 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 of situations. What is truly important looks through that, moves through that, penetrates that. So what is it that's truly important for you? And do you keep your life focused on that regardless of circumstances? That is, if you're a mother or a father or if you're employed or unemployed, this above all else should be the focus. And it doesn't in any way negate or cut us off from that which circumstantially arises within that focus. But the focus is much farther and much deeper than just the circumstances of that moment. You see, children, yes, I give them your full-heartedness. The full-heartedness, but full-heartedness to what? The full-heartedness of something that reaches beyond their growth, their schooling, their nurturement, that looks beyond that. Because they'll grow in accordance to how deeply you're affected by that. If, it's, if what is most important is the sense of connecting to your life and to others through your life and to feel the interconnection, the connectedness of life, then your children will be enhanced by that focus. But if we lose that focus, then we will be with our children temporarily and be in pain when they're no longer or we're no longer. See, something has to be deeper than our day-to-day circumstances. And this is what renunciation asks from us, to look at this thing, look at it deeply and hold that. That's what Sims tries, tries to do week after week, is to remind us. Hold it up constantly, regardless of summer months, winter months, spring months, regardless of weather, regardless of who's on TV or whether it's election night. Where are you going to focus? And what we're, Most of us are half-hearted We can't rise sufficiently to meet that focus because we're not sure what we want. Some of us just want to be self-indulgent. Some of us just want to be soothed and bathed in the comforts that my life temporarily supplies. But then the economic turned down and suddenly I'm unemployed. And if we've lost that focus, then we've lost everything, haven't we? Suzuki Roshi, I wrote the, this, it was a quotation from him. Renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but accepting that they will go away. See, when we realize that death is inevitable, and that all death, all the things that we have so much invested in are just temporarily on the stage with us then renunciation is a really a falling into the heart into that question of what's important here 
What's meaningful? And everything on the stage is taken care of within that focus. That's what I want to assure you is that if you ask that deep question, you don't suddenly want to become a nun or a monk. Not if your circumstances won't allow it. Because what it's asking for us is full-heartedness with whatever it is that is sharing time with us. But not holding to what is sharing time with us as the end-all and be-all of my life. And so renunciation is really a, a whittling back and finding those questions, those, that resonance which is primary to the substance of my life. You know, I have been, as most of you know, in hospice care for, wasn't, worked in hospice care for a number of years and saw many people go through their death and uh, prepare for their death by renouncing. And it wasn't, they knew, when they knew they were going to die, they also knew simultaneously that they couldn't hold on. And so the renunciation wasn't it wasn't what they chose, but they had to open their hands. They had to let they had to let go. And slowly they could come often to a much deeper and richer relationship of what they knew through knowing that they couldn't hold on. Once I was with a patient and as he was dying and he had been a very uh, well-established businessman and uh, on top of some kind of company that he owned and had lots of employees and that all of course had to be given up and then his relationships fell away as he was able to do less and less Uh, and his family was still around but he couldn't be the proud father that he was and he couldn't have the empowerment that he used to have or the capability or the control and so I was watching this once very powerful man just get whittled away and I would just keep reminding him almost every visit I would say Okay, what, okay, you see what's being taken away. Now, what can't be taken away? Because if you just invest in what has been taken away, you will suffer enormously. But your strength comes from what can't be taken away. What's undiminished? And as he was dying, as he was having to release, and as his life was becoming what we would think of as very narrow in terms of his abilities, he was waking up. He was getting brighter. He was getting almost incandescent. And everyone noticed it. They wanted to be with him. His children, and he hadn't been a father that uh, was home a lot, so he 
didn't have a really good relationship with his children, but his children would come around uh, because they wanted to be with this other person, this, this other person who was changing into someone else that they had not known. So what is it in you? What is it in me that can't be diminished? I mean, aging does that too, doesn't it? It's going to happen. It is happening as we speak. So let us make this journey into renunciation for these weeks welcomed. Welcome it. And let us start, and I want to just start with something that's a very tangible way we can approach renunciation. Let us start with a simple pause. You see? Just the willingness to honor stopping. We can all do that. You won't find anything harder to do than that, but we can all do that. Our minds, because of the quickness of pace and because of the nature of the desire for future as opposed to present, does not want to slow down, does not want to arrest, does not want to stop. In fact, it degrades stopping as useless. But you put med- if you call it meditation, then maybe it can find some use because that's like something. It means something, doesn't it? I'm getting something out of stopping. So we call it meditation because that gives it some value. But just pausing, just stopping, just stopping in the middle of your day, just a resting motion, that's a renunciation. You know your heart longs for it. And when you do it genuinely, sincerely, not superficially pausing, looking at your watch and moving quickly out of that pause, but genuinely, it feels the impact of that. It feels what is deeply meaningful to it. Because in that moment, there's a moment of wakefulness. We don't pause wholeheartedly, absent-mindedly. If you're going to pause, we pause consciously. We invite awareness in where it was not. And it lights up. It lights up. That moment is a light. And when we see the value of that, we understand where the Sabbath came from. Don't we? To rest on the seventh day. Or where grace, saying grace before the meal, before the mind's desire and all of the delicious meal, food in front of us gets gobbled up, Pausing. Letting something else in. Some dignity. Some sense of appreciation. Some relationship with what 
is about to be done. That's stepping out. And it's also stepping in. It's stepping out of our mind and into our heart. And that's what renunciation feels like. It feels like being nourished. Not like being contracted and being in denial. But it feels like being nourished. Being held. We can all do this. And let that pause, that establish a context, a relationship, a conscious moment in which everything is known. And let the heart warm just from that sense of appreciation. And when we begin to see the value and nourishment that a pause gives us, guess what? The pauses last longer and are more frequent. But if we think the value of our life lies within the busyness, which if we're honest, most of us do, because we haven't seen the limitation of the busyness. We haven't equated the busyness with the inevitable death of all the products that we form from that busyness. We haven't seen that all of the things that we manufacture and produce, as hard as we work, are only temporarily on the stage. And that that pause when we're willing to pull ourselves out, has something everlasting in it. Isn't that interesting? That the everlasting would be found in the non-doing. we've been so convinced by the culture that any sense of renunciation is not only a waste of time, it just, it isn't the way to success or to happiness. We've been sold a completely counterindicated method for our happiness by the culture. And that's why we gather as a group to reassure one enough, another that we're not crazy because everybody else is everybody else is not pausing. No one's pausing out there. So if I can just find somebody else that also understands the beauty of stopping. And if I can see it sufficiently in myself so that the busyness doesn't become the comp- 
compulsion of my life, then I'm, I would be willing to sit and face the forces of my mind that drive me to busyness. <clears throat> but until I see this limitation, those forces will have me working on their behalf, not standing up to them. As I've mentioned, one of the tasks I give to the beginning series is for them to take one action, one behavior that they do every day, and to really make it conscious. And they just can't do it. They can sit miserably for 30 minutes, but they can't take a single activity and make it conscious. Because the mind, when it gets rolling, you see, they're looking at meditation as another activity that will do something good for them. So they're willing to do the meditation as something that will do something good for them. But pausing and making something conscious and not thinking their way out of it has no, makes no sense. It's by far the harder of the two. Now, you and I know better. And this pull of the heart towards simplicity, the simplicity of just pausing, of just stopping. This pull, this authentic urge of the heart to be unburdened, to be unburdened, to decrease one's burden. Renunciation is a is better thought of is a better a better definition for renunciation is surrendering. Surrender. And surrender I'm going to define as dropping what is not ours. Right? Now we can't force ourselves to surrender, so all of these things are not within our control to do. And that's the key to whatever words we use, like renunciation or surrender, is that they're not a controlled effort. They're an opening. When we see something is not ours, why do we invest in it? We don't. It's not a contracted state of fighting something, like, I've mentioned this before, but it needles me so much. I'm have to, I was listening to this uh, talk by this uh, monk who was asked the question, who said, a uh, layperson asked him, he said, there's a beautiful sunset tonight, sir, and I just... I just found myself appreciating it so deeply. And then he says to the monk, what would you have done had you seen that beautiful sunset? And the monk said, I would have turned away. And I thought, (laughs) I heard that years ago and I tell it all the time because to this day it needles me. Because 
there's a collision course there between an internal effort of, of contracting our senses and keeping them you know, within the state of, of tension so that I can't turn towards what is beautiful or lovely or appreciative. And the willingness to face life in all of its disguises, but to explore all of those disguises, to see its one essential nature. So beauty or ugliness, So what is not ours? Everything is ours to explore. Everything is an adventure of discovery. And as we begin to look with curiosity at our thoughts, at our emotions, we see they don't tell the identified story that we once thought them to be. We don't throw them out as being useless. We just don't invest in our thoughts and emotions as containing the essential quality of me. And so we renounce the continual commentary that ties us to those emotional themes and to the narrative of our life. And a funny thing happens when we do that is what we renounce, what we release that is not needed are the thoughts and emotions. And we then find ourselves within the stillness of the pause because it was only the investment in the belief of the narrative and the commentary and the themes of the emotional and historical picture of myself that kept me moving busily along in the first place. Does the air own what it surrounds? Does our awareness possess what it knows? What it sees? When we aren't invested in the forms and displays of the world, we are like the air that surrounds all things but owns nothing. This is the picture of renunciation. As we extract our awareness from the themes of identification with the mind, those Emotional responses, quiet. The thoughts and chatter also diminish. But they still arise. But there's no sense of ownership in that. Habitual thoughts, those which have tugged our way, pulled us into deeper and deeper areas of emotional volatility are over for what we renounce ultimately is our suffering 
But first we have to acknowledge that it even exists. That we're even the cause. We are the cause. We impose the suffering upon ourselves. To get to that fact often requires an enormous amount of attention. Just to see that it isn't my boss at work that's making me miserable. And then we see the habitual thoughts that spring forth that have kept us over and over again held to the same themes of our life and to the same patterns within those themes. And if we're just willing to face the emotions rather than to believe and invest in their belief, if we're just willing to feel the state we're in rather than to act from that state, if we're just willing to allow the air to spread around the object so that it holds it as the air does our body, but never claims ownership, then we begin to feel that perpetual pause that is in all of us. Not the temporary pause in which we take our deliberately take our actions and steady ourselves away from those actions. But the pause that's in the middle of those actions. So let me just summarize because I gave you a lot of different definitions for this word renunciation. It's an attitude to release what is not needed. And it's seeing what is needed and not needed. It's not deciding by reading some spiritual book that Jesus did said this, therefore I'm going to do it. We have to make the wisdom our own. We have to see that it's not needed. We have to see that it limits us, that it creates and causes us more pain than it provides us pleasure. We have to see that. But it's not beyond our scope of seeing, beyond our observation. All we have to do is just be conscious of when we do things. If we're conscious of when we do things, very quickly you'll see the doing of those things the indulgence in them isn't worth the loss of consciousness that the indulgence demands. That we can't be indulgent and conscious at the same time. And then things just start falling away. Your life starts changing. It's not as if Most of us, I think, want our spiritual lives, but we don't want to give up anything. We just want to keep it all together and march through this thing, never giving up a thing. That's the bargain we make. But we don't really have to give up anything. We just have to see its limitation, and then it gives up on us. 
And it starts falling away, not as a prohibition, but as a useless waste of time. When I start dwelling upon my past, it doesn't take long before it just feels useless because it doesn't do anything (laughs) except make me miserable. And it's not required in order for life to flourish. It's not required. In fact, it keeps life from flourishing. And so about 99% of thoughts go away. You can still find your way back home. You can still do your job very well. You just don't think miserably. Which is about 99% of how we think. That's renunciation. That's the spirit. This is not anti-pleasure, but the willingness to see where we are dependent. And, and, and an extra ingredient of bringing in a state of discovery, of looking, of wanting to, wanting, wanting to know this thing, wanting to look at this thing, to figure this out, to... And I don't mean out of intellectual curiosity, but when the heart feels limited, it wants to know how to break that bond, how to break that limitation. It wants to explore. And it knows it has the ability to discern for each of ourselves why I hurt. All it takes is awareness. I'm gonna, let's look at this thing. Why is it I keep hurting myself here? And so that leads to shedding the problem. A willingness to push our limits, not to stay complacent. And asking the hard questions. Like what is really meaningful? examine what has been driving us all this time. It's so interesting. I Just to examine what's driving us. Do I really have to give over to this compulsion? Do I really have to stay so busy that everything stays a blur? Like looking out the side window of a car going 60 miles an hour. Is this thing about inviting a relationship into life? One that's steady and arrested so that it can move together rather than, hi, how are you? See you next week. The passing, but arrested so that in this moment things are known, things are seen. Things are felt. Appreciation is here. So we have some work to do. 
That shouldn't be discouragement. That should lift us up. For what else is life about but asking that question? That's the most important thing. Thank you all. Can we just sit for a moment or two? As you sit, have you stopped? Or are things still blurring at 60 miles an hour? You can't ask your thoughts to stop because you're not in control of that. But you can get out of the car. So if there are any questions or comments about anything, I'd be happy to see if I could answer. But more about getting out of the car. <laughs> Can I talk a little bit more about getting out of the car? It, you remember what I was saying about the air? Yes. Right? The air surrounds you but doesn't own you, right? So your thoughts, when they're seen from the awareness that sees the thoughts... They see the thought, but they don't own the thought. And I think the metaphor of the air is a good one. Because the air is stopped. You can run all over, right? The space, call it space, call it air, call it whatever you like. But it's not in movement. Yet it holds movement, doesn't it? So what in us is not in movement, but holds all movement? You see, that's what getting out of the car means is finding that which has always stopped, or has, always, has already stopped. It's just that we're so used to investing and going, because going is where we get ourself, our egoic sense of self, gets nourished. It gets nourished by constant self-improvement, by going on and bettering, the moment you're in or you who are in the moment. One of those two things is trying to be bettered. Right? That requires movement. It requires another moment or it requires another you. Right? So one of those two things is always going on. Right? But what is it that holds you within the moment? What is that? And doesn't is, is no, so that you are completely known in the moment. But it's not tied to the egoic compulsion to move. Right? So that's, use that as your koan. Right? So forget the homework. If this, if this, invite, if you're invited. And, and do not give up on this question. Do not, do not give up on it. Maybe hard, maybe maybe you think, oh, that's like ten years more spiritual work before I No. Your curiosity shows how close you are to it. You wouldn't be curious in the question if you weren't very close to the answer. 
It's a very thin. See, curiosity only arises when the veil is very thin. Right? So many people back away from those questions because of the implication of the answer. So sometimes when you ask yourself a very deep question like the one you just posed, you think, oh, this is, if I find this, it'll ruin my life. I'm not going to. You start bringing a mental, uh, mental justification for backing away. You see? And then you, then you have to work your way into the answer at some time when your life has settled sufficiently so that it fits your particular idea of when the realization occurs. You know, maybe when I don't have children anymore, but I'm 90 and on my deathbed, then I'll ask that question, right? Nonsense. Nonsense. So anything anything the mind puts between you and your curiosity is nonsense. Any objection, any sense of delay, it's nonsense. So, so we got covered, got rid of all that. It's gone. That's right. Right. Then you have to watch out for your own sense of doubt. You say, "Oh, I'm, this is a question that you know." God, I look around. Nobody knows this answer. Maybe He does, but I don't know. Right. So you, you some guy in the Himalayas. <laughs> so, okay, throw all that out. Just throw it out. All see this. This is these things are real. These are the demons. These are the demons. Okay, just now you're just just you and the purity of your interest. You and the purity of your curiosity. What is this? What is he talking about? You know that I'm talking about something. It's not nonsense. I'm not talking about the three bears. You know, I'm talking about something that's real, and you feel that. Because why would I be saying it? Not only that, but you feel it. So now you're on to something, you see. And you say, okay, I'm going for it. This is going to be my question. And I'm not going to do this intellectually, because intellectually, I'll just read books, and I won't, at the end of all those books, I won't be any closer to the satisfaction than I was before I read the books. And you'll still be in the car. Very good. And your foot will be well on your accelerator. Okay. So, that's it, you see. So, this, this is a sincere. This is how you welcome in your own sincerity. Not by doubting. You cannot doubt yourself. You cannot procrastinate this curiosity. It's here and it's Believe me, if you procrastinate, it may never come back. This is a gift of the moment, of the immediate moment. It's a gift within the... Your curiosity is a gift that if you delay it, may never come back because this moment doesn't replicate itself. You see? And so if you don't take up the cause now, the focus now, this is the only time there is. So you get hungry. It's like if, if you were starving and you knew there was only one table of food and it was only there for a certain length of time, you'd go right there. There would be no question. You wouldn't say, well, I'll get it tomorrow. 
Right? You, you right there. Fill in your plate. Hmm? Fill your plate, dear. Fill your plate. There was a hand in the back. Yes. Of what? Of calling it surrender. Surrender, yes. Good. Yes. Yes, good. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's it. Right. That's right. Good. So she said it was very helpful to hear the word surrender as opposed to renunciation, which feels like something you need to do, doesn't it? It feels like a job or an activity that I've got to do. Right? And that's why it's a contraction, because you don't have, if you're doing it, it's the wrong way, isn't it? So you see that. I just want to get your, I want to increase your spiritual IQ. You start listening for how the mind interprets. These are paramis. These are states of a free mind. So if the sense of self is in there, something's wrong. Right? Because the sense of self, by definition, is not a free mind. It's a contracted one. So, if you're thinking of renunciation as something you need to do and that renunciation is a state, is a manifestation of a free mind, something's wrong. Right? So, how is it that I can reinterpret this thing so that I take myself out of the picture? That's why I'm using the word openness as opposed to contraction. Surrender is really the state of being open. Because it's what's happening is happening. And you're either going to surrender to it or you're going to contract to it. Right? Surrendering is putting no objection to it. So you can see that the arms have to widen even further. You see? And so what you're doing in terms of renunciation as being a self improvement or a, a job of self is okay well now you see you got to be very careful of this word this word drives me crazy because even though I've given a whole talk countering the definition most of you will go out here thinking renunciation okay what can I give up what can you know what can I how can I let, that's not what it is so we've got to come all together here right we all have to be at the base camp before we hike up the, the mountain. Okay, we're all in the base camp together. Now let's redefine this thing. Okay, we have to redefine it. It's not about giving things up and being miserable as I get simple. <laughs> because simple, everybody, you know, simplicity is what every spiritual book talks about. And, uh... <laughs> It's what your heart will seek if we're oriented, oriented in the right way. 
It's not. It's where you where you leap. You'll leap there. Like you'll leap at a pause. Once you understand the value of a pause, you're going to leap at it. You see? But you're not going to if you think it disrupts your day. You see? Until you so you have to see it. You have to see. If you're seeing it as a disruption of the day, then you're seeing it from the wrong angle, from the wrong perspective. Hmm? All right, so how does a pause work so that it actually is a benefit? Well, first you've got to pause to find out. Isn't that interesting? Now let's do it together. My God, it's this close. Do you see that? Okay, we'll call it an evening. Thank you all. Thank you, thank you. Persistence. Persistence. Just persistence. You know, things come, you know, in circumstances and you suddenly you're, in sep- you're separated from your spouse or suddenly you're... Um, you know, just persistence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.